looking at all these new albums coming out on Deezer or on any kind of streaming service, hmm. and a lot of times they'll put up one track before right. the album, you know, will come out. They'll release uh, things a track at a time. In fact, um, you know, Peter Gabriel's been doing this all year. He's been releasing, like, with each full moon, he's releasing one track from his new album. But, you know, um, <laughs> when they do that... I never want to hear the the track because I want to hear the whole album. <laughs> right. I just wait so everybody else knows these this one track that they've released that I'm still waiting for the whole album because I don't want to hear just the one track. I want to hear it in the context of the record. Are you like that? You know, it's funny you mention that because mm-hmm. one of the albums I know has been coming out and has had one track for like a month is the vibraphonist Simon Moulier, who we really oh. like. Yeah, I like him too. We have his record from, uh, was that last year? Last year or the Two end years of the year ago, before? Yeah. Anyway, there's been this one track there. <laughs> Every time I look, the album was supposed to be out. And I didn't listen to it because I wanted to listen to all of it, not just one yeah. track. It's a tease, which is fine. But then you don't get to hear the rest of the album for, what, months? I don't want <laughs> yeah. to wait for this. Only, don't give me this three-minute tease. I want 45 minutes of action. <laughs> Blue Note is the worst one with that. They do that a few months ahead of time. Oh, and they'll trickle out one and then maybe up to three tracks. And you still right. don't hear the whole album. And I'm going to forget about it by then because we have to listen to yeah. and search for so many new albums. I know. I've already moved on to the next thing. So Not only that, I'm not made for this like streaming world because there's so much music available on streaming. And I'll just, after a while, I'll forget it. Like if I don't have it on a CD, because I could see it on the shelf then. But I'm not right. going to be scrolling through lists. And I'm, I'm kind of like that with books too. Um, in fact, people have recommended this to me that I should get a, uh, a Kindle. And right. I just can't. I just can't. I just can't have a list of all these books and just be <laughs> flipping through them with my finger. It just drives me crazy. I just feel like I'm looking at a screen all the time. I can't do that. You're old school. <laughs> I am old school. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> Actually, you can, but you just don't want to do the new tricks because you're just, you know, tired. I don't right. want to bother with this stuff. Oh, you're listening to the musings and rantings <laughs> of two old men. And adult music, <laughs> appropriately <laughs> named. I'm your co-host, Russ, over here. This is Mike. I'm wondering if 10 years from now we should uh, rename the podcast like Old Man Music or something Geriatric like that. Tunes or Geriatric something. Geriatric Tunes. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, we're here at episode 137, and I want to thank all the listeners from last week's episode. We had the most downloads in the first week on a new episode ever. How did that happen? We have no idea. Yeah. I'm looking at the people who are downloading, you know, the locations of the people who downloaded on right. their uh, Podbean site because they give us that data right. and it just doesn't say anything to me i don't know what's going on so if you're listening to us write to us uh, and tell us tell us why so that we can do more <laughs> and get more people tell your friends all right well unfortunately this week uh, we've made it a few weeks without any bad news but we do have a little bad and sad news yeah. this week this was sad for me too because this was a uh, an artist i liked as well all right so let me get up to the piano here for our theme And this week we'll sadly report the passing of Carla Blay. Yeah. Who was born Lavella May Borg. <laughs> I didn't 1936. Know that. Yeah. And she was an American jazz composer, pianist, organist, and band leader. Yeah. She came to New York City at age seventeen, and I didn't know this, but she became a cigarette girl at Birdland. She met jazz pianist Paul Blay, who encouraged her to start composing and whom she later married. She became an important figure in the free jazz movement of the 60s, and I think she's probably best known for her jazz opera, 
Escalator Over the Hill, which was a triple album set. Her compositions have been performed by many other artists, for example, Gary Burton, George Russell, Art Farmer, John Schofield, and her ex-husband, Paul Blay. She was also the co-leader of the Jazz Composers Orchestra with Michael Mantler from the mid-60s to the mid-70s. She recorded 29 records as a leader and many more as a collaborator. And throughout her career, she often said that she thought of herself as a writer first, 99% composer, 1% pianist. She also continued to record quite a lot with her own big band, which I enjoyed a lot, and also smaller ensembles. Uh, probably the most well-known is The Lost Chords. Now, unfortunately, in 2018, she was diagnosed with brain cancer, from which she died October 17th, 2023, at the age of 87. So rest in peace, Carla Blay, one of the leading ladies of jazz. Yeah, and she had great hair, too. She did, yeah. Right up until the end, actually. Yeah. Well, at least her last album, which I was just listening to the other night. Yeah. Really nice. Oh, it was really good. I think she'll live on. Those, those compositions will keep being played. All right, this week, we have a special treat for you. Get your passports ready. Yeah. Because we're going Latin gallivanting. Okay. <laughs> Latin gallivanting. <laughs> We've got six albums, and we're going to cover six <laughs> countries. Cuba, Colombia, Mexico, Venezuela, Brazil, and end up in Spain. How's that for a trip? That's something I would do. Well, it was exciting listening to all this music. It was good. It was all new. It was all really new right. stuff, except for the first one I'm going to talk about. Well, before we get into that, remember that in the episode description, you can find links to Spotify and Apple Music for all of this Latin music we're going to discuss. Also, at the top of the description, there's a link to the full episode playlist. Get all the music in one place on Deezer CD quality music streaming from France. You can also listen to the podcast there if you want to get everything in one place. And if you can't see the full description or the recording list and links on your app or they're not clear, like I found out they're not on Deezer, the Deezer mobile app is terrible. Everything is just squashed into one line. You can always come over to our host site, Podbean, that's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com, where everything's easy to follow. If you enjoy the podcast, please follow or subscribe, tell a friend. Help us get new listeners. If you take a moment also to give us a ranking or write a short review, especially on Apple Podcasts, that helps us get listed in the recommendations. We get new listeners that way. Come and follow us on our Facebook page as well. You can get extra info and more new releases throughout the week. I put up a half dozen this morning, all stuff that came out on Friday. I put up one. <laughs> I can do more of that. <laughs> do more. You can also leave a message or comment there. And if you'd like to get in touch directly through email with any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is adultmusicpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. We also want to mention our good friends over at The Same Difference, two jazz fans, one jazz standard. That's AJ and Johnny. They're up at that jazz festival now posting oh, really? photos and stuff about it. Yeah, Sun Valley Jazz Festival. Sun Valley Jazz Festival is yeah. the one they always go to, yeah. So they're having I a good time I guess we're going to have to go to that one day, too. Yeah, maybe we can meet them there. I think we'll inevitably meet them there if we go. Probably. They, they seem to always be there. Well, their podcast is about jazz standards. They feature one for each episode. They play little snippets from different versions and discuss the history of the original and what they don't like and do like about each version. And if you remember, they were guests on our podcast back a few episodes ago, and we're planning to show up on theirs to do some standard discussions. Hopefully that'll happen sometime next month. So yeah. uh, you can find a link to their podcast at the end of our episode description. And if you stick around to the end of the audio, get a little promo from them, find out what they're all about. 
setting that up is really uh, quite a project because they have they're in two time zones already, right. and then we're in this really strange one, yeah, far away. And as usual, we're going to be playing some musical samples tonight. So here's our disclaimer of fair use. The music sample clips are for commentary and educational purposes. We recommend that listeners listen to the complete recordings, all of which are available on streaming services in the links provided. And we also suggest that if you enjoy the music, you consider purchasing the CDs or high quality downloads to support the artists. If you were listening this summer, you might notice that we put uh, Deezer on notice because they were oh, yeah. missing tracks from some of their classical albums and i think that uh i think they've corrected that now because i haven't Seems had any be. yeah i haven't had any issues with that so i think we can take them off our on notice board <laughs> so teaser right. is no longer on notice i'm happy to say all right so and i guess it, right do you agree we take i agree i've had no major okay. complaints all right get those passports ready because i think our first destination is cuba that's right okay so the first um, classical release today is um, the third installment in the Mozart e Mambo album oh, yeah. trilogy. This is called uh, subtitled La Bella Cubana, which is um, the name of a famous uh, Cuban song. This is a uh, Sarah Willis's project. She plays the French horn. She's with um, Havana Lyceum Orchestra, conducted by Jose Antonio Mendez Padron. And this time she's brought some of her colleagues from the Berlin Philharmonic to Cuba to help her out. And they are Jonathan Kelly on oboe, Wenzel Fuchs on the clarinet, Stefan Schweigert on bassoon. Those are the uh, members of the uh, Berlin Philharmonic, but also the Cuban trumpet player Harold Madrigal Frias is also on this album. And it's on the Alpha Classics label. Now, there are three of these albums, and we talked about one of them, mm -hmm. but I wanted to do this one because I like to notify people that it's over now. They're all out, they're all out okay. and available. There won't be any more after this. I wanted to get one last uh, one in there. So the final installment of the Mozart Imamba trilogy, and we liked the other one. So, right? Yeah, we, that was we a lot of fun. This. It was really fun because all four of Mozart's horn concertos have now been recorded by Sarah Willis. And this one, she does the, uh, the fourth horn concerto and probably the most famous one because of its... Uh, third rondo movement it's got a really catchy theme this was recorded in april 2022 if you buy the cd you have these really fantastic photos of them in that uh giant like american convertible it's pink it's like a pink it might be a cadillac i'm not really sure i couldn't really make it out i'm not good at cars like that but they look like they're having a really good time out in the sunshine with the uh yeah this old uh really beautifully restored car you get sunny photos with smiling musicians. Just the photos themselves make the project look like it was so much fun to do, and it sounds that way, too. If you have the CD, the inner gatefold and booklet have pictures of them in that hot pink convertible, and we saw that on the previous album, too. By the way, apparently, the uh, Berlin Philharmonic players were treated like pop stars in Havana by the Cuban audience, who mm. were really excited to have them there. So it's kind of nice to see... Mm. Uh, the classical musicians being treated this way. I think uh, I want to, I really want to encourage that around the world. Opera stars are sort of treated that way uh, still among right. that crowd, but not uh, soloists so much. We want to get that happening again. I think they deserve it. They're exciting. Okay, so tracks one through three Mozart, Horn Concerto number four, and E flat major, K495. This is uh, composed in 1786. Mozart didn't number these. Um, and a lot of times, uh, the CD doesn't number them either, or the album doesn't either. They just give you the key. But scholars have numbered them, and I'm just kind of going by what they've said. 
they're taking the numbers away now. I'm not too happy about that. Because I don't know which one it is. I don't remember the keys, really. Anyway, this one starts uh, Allegro Maestoso. And the orchestra gets a good, lively feel for the music. Remember, this is the Cuban orchestra. The rhythm has a nice spring to it. Let me give you the name of the orchestra again. The Havana Lyceum Orchestra. The rhythm has a nice spring to it. Uh, legatos are very smooth. And we get a good Mozartian feel here. Willis comes in at about the minute and 10 second mark to help finish the phrase. On this recording, and this piece, really, she's got this tremendous tone, much more forward than the orchestra, and it really fills the entire, I guess what you'd call sound stage. Let's hear the um, cadence from the orchestra and then her first entry up to her first solo theme. So I'm going to fade this in about a minute into the track. Yeah, that's uh, that's a tone you get from the uh, when you play in the uh, Berlin Philharmonic, folks. That is <laughs> big and fat. Sounds great. Nice to hear her as a soloist on this album, too, and really in this whole series. I'm happy to hear that the conductor and orchestra pick up the uh, Mozartian wit that occasionally peeks its mischievous head in between solo lines. I didn't give you a sample of that, but you listen for it. They have a sense of humor. They're pretty alive to this uh, music. On the previous album in the... Um, the notes, they said something about that they think of Mozart as Cuban. He's like a an honorary Cuban. <laughs> uh, so he's really popular there. Okay, Willis's tone uh, really is astonishingly full and smooth, as you heard. And the legato playing is buttery smooth. Ooh, just want to put that on my popcorn. <laughs> I, also, I also loved her staccato sound at the 4 minute and 18 second mark. At 6.30, we hear the cadenza performed with alternations between forte and piano. Piano meaning the dynamic, not the instrument. This is another bone of contention I have with the words that um, classical musicians have chosen to describe their music. Anyway, getting into the deep end of the horn at the 7 minute and 10 second mark, the orchestra comes back to finish a very satisfying movement. The second movement is labeled Romance and marked Andante Cantabile. Willis starts this off with the French horn, and this is, I'm pretty sure, what she'd call a uh, piano dynamic. Piano meaning soft, piano, like pianissimo, this is piano. But Willis's sound is so big and wide <laughs> that it fills the whole <laughs> space. She's recorded very close up, and she's got this big, beautiful tone. Um, you want that heard in the orchestra, but you hear it here in really beautiful form. It's got the spotlight, and that's for sure. We can hear every nuance of attack, and Willis is heard to have consummate technique. The orchestra, meanwhile, has a quiet piano dynamic sound. The horn may be too far forward, but the performance is excellent, and all orchestra textures are perfectly audible. It's a pretty brief movement. And then we get the rondo, the famous uh, rondo allegro vivace, third movement of this piece. It's a very famous rondo, 
and we've been waiting to hear this movement throughout the project, <laughs> but hmm. on the first two CDs too, where it didn't appear, and is saved for the last recording, and just as well, I guess. At the opening, Willis gets a fantastic, rapid staccato, smoothly and effortlessly played. The dynamic is also a bit held back and balances better with the orchestra than the previous two movements. It sounds comfortable to the ears. The orchestra gets a good flow as well. Let's uh, hear the, the opening to this very famous movement. You heard a bit of uh, Mozart's wit in that too, mm. in the uh, the little uh, imitations from the orchestra and from the trumpet. And this is really well played. It's it's um, with the orchestra and the soloists um, complementing each other and listening to each other very well. It's also very rhythmic and puts across the high spirits throughout the movement too. This is really a joy to listen to, and it's a little different to what others might think of as more idiomatically Viennese performances, like the famous Dennis Brain recording. He's got the most famous one, probably. But it registers so well for our time and with such joy that it's, it'll probably be a go-to performance for me. I don't know. There are probably better balanced recordings out there, but uh, I really enjoyed this one. Sadly, it's a brief movement. It's only less than four minutes. But in a way, it's not over because of the next track. <laughs> Edgar Olivero has written a Rondo a la Rumba. Inspired by the rondo from Mozart's horn concerto that we just heard above. So this is inspired by the previous track that we heard. It's performed by the Sarabanda, okay? So S-A-R-A-H for Sarah Willis. Banda, like Saraband, like the dance. Get it? Okay. Hmm. This uh, ensemble features uh, Sarah Willis on horn. She's our soloist. With Unier Lombida on saxophone. Yana Rascon on piano. Leo a. Luna on bass, Alejandro Aguilar on cajon and guiro, which are both percussion instruments, Adele Gonzalez on congas, and Eduardo Ramos on timbales. So we're going to have some fun here. A Cuban feeling is achieved through the percussion and piano at the opening, and this is beautifully recorded, especially the percussion instruments. Every percussion instrument seems to have its own space. At the 42nd mark, Willis comes in with the Rondo theme, and we're going to hear that entry. I'm just going to get ahead here. Uh, Cuban piano. Yep. How about that? That was pretty authentic. All right. To be honest, I'm not sure how well that theme fits into the Cuban rhythm, <laughs> but uh, 
it's kind of fun. I, I You could hear that they really enjoyed playing it, and that comes across. Uniette Lombidon saxophone repeats the famous rondo theme, as you heard, and the piece gets into some more Cuban-sounding rhythms as it goes with the melodic material. The horn and sax sound fantastically rich in harmony. At the 2 minute and 20 second mark, the piano gets the spotlight momentarily, and at the 309 uh, mark, there's a sudden rhythmic change for it to a cha-cha, and the singing as well. At the 3 minute 37 second mark, that suddenly stops, and the horn and sax play the ending material, with Willis getting a brief cadenza. It's fun all the way through, and rather surprising at parts. There's a lot of um, clever things happening in this. I don't know. It's um, they, they didn't change the rhythm of the famous theme. I guess that's it's a little odd hearing it with all that uh, rhythmic excitement yeah. going on. Anyway, but it is fun. It was good to hear it. Tracks five through seven. Now, I'm wondering if I could call this the centerpiece of the album. It's not the most famous uh, work on it. That would be the horn concerto that we heard. But it's the deepest work, the Mozart Sinfonia Concertante for four winds in E flat major. And K297B. Now, I'm not all that familiar with this work, so I was kind of interested to hear it, especially here in this context. This features Sarah Willis along with her um, Berlin Philharmonic cohorts, um, Jonathan Kelly on oboe, Wenzel Fuchs on clarinet, and Stefan Schweigert on bassoon. Okay, first movement, Allegro. The orchestra gets a full satisfying sound and a good tempo for the beginning, as well as in the livelier following section. There's a lot of room sound on the orchestra, which is good. We feel like we're in a huge space. That said, the orchestra is still recorded pretty close. They get a lot of the wit out of Mozart's melodic writing, as well as beauty. At 2 minutes and 55 seconds, we hear the soloists for the first time. The orchestra gets the spotlight for a long time. And this is a fairly long movement at over 13 minutes. The soloists are very close to the mics and sound as loud as the orchestra. It's actually a bit hard to distinguish between the two, especially when the uh, the wind instruments are playing together because they sound like the orchestra. Uh, the balance is so even and the soloist ensemble is so thick. At 3 minutes and 55 seconds, Sarah Willis has the first entry, the solo entry, and her tone isn't as huge as in the concerto. She may be toning it down to blend in with her um, fellow soloists. She blends well with them on this. All four play winding lines with the class you would expect from musicians of this caliber. The oboe-led theme at the uh, 5 minute and 5 second mark is especially lovely, so I'm guessing that would be a good place to sample. Let's try that. I also hope that you heard that uh, bassoon playing the bass because I'm going to have something to say about him a little later too. He's he's a pretty interesting player. Okay, so this movement, as I said, is pretty long and the development section is very involved with a kaleidoscope of timbres from the soloists and the orchestra. At 9 minutes and 18 seconds, the recapitulation or the opening melody begins and we hear the soloists with an early section to themselves. At 11 minutes 51 seconds, the soloists get a cadenza, which consists of trading off the melody, while the rest of the soloists play responses in harmony. 
Mozart seems to favor the oboe in this cadenza, though, as it's the highest, most audible instrument in the ensemble. And after this, the movement comes to a quick conclusion. The second movement, the string and winds start the theme, and the blend of the bassoon's entry with the orchestra is magically well taken. I really want you to hear that, so I'm going to play this from the beginning. bassoon play in the bass line as the oboe has the melody. I hope you heard that bassoon. People don't like to listen to the bass so much. I do. <laughs> so I'm always got, got an ear out for that. The ensemble trade the melody, as you heard, which with the concentrating of voices winds out all the way to the cadences in the second and third minutes. Mozart really prolongs the last cadence of the theme in the third minute in various instruments all the way to 3 minutes and 48 seconds, after which we get to a new bassoon-led section, an instrument, of course, that I love to hear because it's in the low frequency range. The oboe takes over after that. I want to point out Stefan Schweiger, the bassoon player's numerous magical entries on the bassoon in this movement. All are superb, but if you got a ten of years, he'll make you say a silent wow. The entries are so beautifully taken. We heard that at the beginning of the track, but there are a lot of great entries from him. After a repeat of the opening material, the track comes to a quiet close. The third movement is an andante con variazioni, and the theme is folk-like, with the oboe taking the melody and the bassoon providing a vivid staccato bass line. The theme has a charming popular feel to it, with three chords ending the theme, as in Papageno's entrance air aria in the Magic Flute. Dun 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 dun. dun, dun. Mozart was into those threes um, towards the end of his um, mm. tragically short life. I like the first call and response variation with the oboe calling and the rest of the soloists responding at lower frequencies. The French horn gets the lead in the next winding variation. The clarinet is next with a nimbly taken variation at two minutes and one seconds. After this, combinations of instruments are heard in the variations. Nice to hear the bassoon get the melody in the fifth minute. At 7 minutes and 21 seconds, the happiness suddenly melts into a more anguished variation, but we're out of this before the seventh minute is over, and a quick tempo is established again, and we reach a rousing conclusion afterwards. Okay, that's the program, and we have two encores, and uh, they're quite unique. The first one is our title track, Jose White Lafitte, lived 1835 to 1918. This is La Bella Cubana, arranged by Jorge Aragon. The four wind instrument soloists on the Sinfonia Contratante played this as an encore, as a thank you to the Cuban audience, so a song that would be familiar to them mm. from their culture. The piece represents the love and nostalgia that Cubans feel for their homeland, according to the booklet notes, and is one of the most important works of Cuban music of all time. The work is a habanera, originally written for two violins and orchestra. The French horn has the lead at the beginning, with the strings providing an arpeggiated accompaniment. Sarah Willis's fellow soloists provide harmony there, and the Cuban feel comes in with the percussion instruments. 
Uh, the rhythm has a swaying in the tropical breeze feel to it. At the 2 minutes and 8 second mark, the texture bursts into a lighter, faster dance rhythm with the orchestra more lightly scored. And I think that's the place we're going to hear the uh, sample. So let's go there. like it was an enjoyable evening mm-hmm. in Havana. Okay, at three minutes and eight seconds, there's a sudden melting into a sadder section, and the slower dance follows in the strings with percussion setting the rhythm. The work ends with this percussion rhythm. And then finally, the ninth track is a very famous work that we all just know, Joseito Fernandez's Guantanamera, also arranged by Jorge Aragon. This is the most famous Cuban song of all time. I was included here to say farewell to Havana and to the entire Mozart Imambo project. Now, you probably know this song is kind of a sort of nostalgic, kind of slightly sad <laughs> song, melody. But the arrangement here gives a nod to Jorge Aragon's passion. Film music. The Cuban trumpeter Harold Madrigal Frias features on this track. This isn't the relaxed version of this melody that we're familiar with. It is indeed more Hollywood in its scoring at the beginning, which is big and showy. You can pick out the melodic fragments in the opening. Percussion comes in at the one minute mark and the brass play the famous melody. Then at two minutes and 55 seconds, as the piano sets a new rhythm. Sarah Willis gets a solo in this section. And we really should hear that because uh, this really is her project. Let's hear her one last time. Wanted to make sure I got her um, playing that uh, melody at the end. (laughs) The piano has a Cuban-style solo in the fifth minute. There's a bright trumpet solo in the sixth minute, really blaring out of the texture. Willis's French horn is heard afterwards, then a duo with the trumpet. There are also vocals at the end by a chorus, leading to an exhilarating approach to the end, punctuated by our two soloists, then leading to a big Hollywood ending. I'd say it's a fitting end to the series. So of the three releases in the series, this one probably contains the most Mozart, although one of them had two horn concertos on it, given that the Sinfonia Concertante is half an hour long in its three movements. So I think that might be counted as the central work on this album. La Bella Cubana comes across as more nostalgic, except, of course, for the Rondo a la Rumba, which is fun. When I say La Bella Cubana, I mean the album, not the song. Then there's the unexpected arrangement of Guantanamera at the end, which really sums up the series in the sense that you really don't know what's coming as far as the Cuban arrangements go. For me, the highlight of this album was Sarah Willis's playing of the fourth horn concerto, the first three tracks. Though it's recorded extremely closely, it comes across with a relaxed feel that serves the work well. The Sinfonia Concertante is very welcome in this context as having it isolated around the Cuban works draws proper attention to it. It's often on albums with other 
multi-soloist work, so it kind of gets lost there, I feel like, as a listener. It's an artistically performed album with a lot of fun built into it. I enjoyed it. I'd say loosen up, listen to it yourself, or vice versa, listen to it and loosen up. (laughs) Well, the Mozart works are extremely well done. This orchestra is very energetic, and you can get a lot of that energy coming through. And Willis's tone is just amazing, and her technique is really flawless, and sounds like she's having a good time. The overall sonics on the recording are really great. Everything's close and upfront. You can hear everything clearly. As far as the programming, I think I preferred some of the Cuban pieces and arrangements on the previous recording. And maybe with that long Mozart, I'd like a little more mambo in the middle. But (laughs) this is uh, the last of three. I recommend you hear all three of them and uh, you know, listen to them from time to time. They're all a little bit different, but they're the same basic ingredients. And you come away with a smile. Yeah, they really went off on the uh, Cuban rhythms on the earlier two albums. I think a bit more here. Yeah. I think they knew it was ending, so they got a little kind of nostalgic. Know, yeah. Nostalgic, yeah. All right, next. For the next two albums, we're going to the Takata Classics label because they released um, two albums of Latin American music on the same day back in, I think, August 25th. That was at least the day that is listed that I saw. They might have come out even earlier <laughs> in Latin hmm. America. But um, this is part of Takata Classics' Takata Next series. And the first one we're going to hear is an album called Colombia Viva, Volume 2. And this is by the pianist Mauricio Arias Esguera. Now, Volume 1 came out in 2021. Arias Esguera is giving us another tour of recent piano music from his native country of Colombia, displaying the wide variety of styles there. Now, when we hear classical music, we think mostly of Europe. And um, because um, Russell and I are American, we're also very aware of a lot of American music. And we don't really hear enough music from the Americas, from mm. Mexico and south of that. And they're massively musical cultures, as we know, um, from their popular music. And But um, art music, too, in classical music that originated in Europe, but they sort of developed for their own sort of style. There's a lot of it. A lot of it is really, really good, and we need to hear more of it. And today we're going to get a chance to hear that on these two albums, thanks to the Toccata Classics label. Arias Esguera intends to expand this series of Colombian piano music to, he says, as close to infinity as possible. (laughs) This could be like Hyperion's romantic piano concerto series, which is closing in on a hundred you know, um, releases. I have them all because I started collecting them in the 90s and I got them as they came out. So I have almost a, a hundred romantic piano concerto CDs. Boy. So this could well become a life project for Arias Esguera. Unlike on the first volume, on this album, Mauricio Arias Esguera commissioned most of the pieces. Now, please, not all of them. I had to kind of think about that for a minute and all of them are receiving their premiere recordings on this album so this is the first time any of these pieces have been recorded Takata Classics has provided a strikingly colorful cover design on this and also the next album that I'm going to be talking about so I really enjoyed the uh, cover art so Mm. kudos to the uh, graphics department at Takata Classics Anyway, we learn a bit about the piano in Colombia itself from the booklet notes. Pianos from Europe often arrived at their new homes in Colombia damaged due to the mountains, (laughs) valleys, deserts, and rainforests they had to travel through. So in the 1830s, the first Colombian pianos began to be built. And afterwards, the piano became an instrument that symbolized Colombian nationalism because of the 
manufacturer of pianos oh, in the country. It's pretty interesting, huh? So nationalism's heyday in Colombia was during the first half of the 20th century, though these sort of um, ideas like started in the 19th century. All right, the first track we're going to hear is by um, the um, pianist Mauricio Arias Asguera himself. It's, um, he was born in 1984, by the way, so he's a lot younger than us. Improvisacion number one, recuerdos. We hear this word recuerdos a lot in Latin American piano works. They, <laughs> they, like, they like looking back. This is apparently an actual improvisation. I, I guess it was written down afterwards, but the notes call them improvisations. This was in, written or done in 2022. Before I talk about it, let's just hear a sample of it. Okay, so the first thing I noticed about this is the uh, mysterious harmony used and the uh, kind of skipping rhythm. Of course, we're always going to associate rhythm with the Americas in general, really, and especially Latin America. This has a nice kind of dotted 6-8 time flow to it with lots of sustain provided by the pedal to give a ghostly feel. As the piece goes on, new notes are introduced to fill in and change the way of the rhythm is perceived. I like the sustained bass notes towards the end. They give a lot of harmonics. The piece ends in the high end of the piano. Track two, Juan Domingo Cordoba, born in 1971. All composers on this album are contemporary. This piece is called uh, Pasillo de Concierto in F major, composed in 2006. A pasillo is a 19th century nationalist dance, so this is going to be more traditional sounding music. Let's hear the opening of this. That piece has a strong rhythmic feel to it. What we think of when we think of like traditional Latin American. It starts out with that rapid virtuosic line and the dancing rhythm. It features a lot of repeated notes, as you heard, in its themes that continues. Arias Esguera has a gentle, yet highly rhythmic way with the left hand chords as the complex repeated note lines in the right hand draw the ear. It's a lively and immediately appealing piece and sounds a challenge to play. I think this would really impress your friends if you could get that rhythm to jump out like that. It's lively all the way through and it reaches a satisfying ending. It's a great encore piece, really. Track three, Catalina Peralta, Solo de Piano Uno. Written in 1990, revised in 2014. Now, she was born in 1963, so she's uh, more of my generation here. This starts out sounding very much of the 20th century with its non-traditional combination of tones. Now, when you hear this, you might think, oh, you know, it's like 12-tone music, but it's not. These are kind of tones that are chosen to 
sort of make certain sounds at certain points in space, so it's not like a line that's kind of leading you somewhere. The expression comes from the harmonic material and the attack, which features sudden accents, as used by a lot of the um, composers of the 20th century. It's not really a challenge to the ears, I would say, as it proceeds easily enough, but its harmony is, as I said, non-traditional. There's a pause at 2 minutes and 11 seconds that makes it sound like the piece is over, but more follows. I think the bass that we hear around 2.50 is the pianist reaching into the keyboard and slapping the bass strings. That's what it sounds like <laughs> to me. We'd have to see a performance to know. The fourth um, track is also by Catalina Peralta, solo de piano, Dos, 1990, revised 2014. This one's a bit more demanding than the previous work, demanding to the listener, <laughs> and probably to the pianist too as it moves in rhythmic clusters that are suddenly interrupted. So that rhythm is there, I want to point out. Dynamics goes suddenly from forte to piano, and the harmony remains complex as in the previous piece. There are sudden rhythmic changes as well. Attention is needed for this piece. It's very European 20th century avant-garde sounding. Another long pause at 1 minutes and 47 seconds results in ending material that doesn't particularly sound like it's heading toward an end. In fact, the piece simply ends in what seems like the middle of an idea. Okay, track five, Mauricio Arias Asguera, again, the uh, pianist on this album, Improvisación number two, Criatura en Movimiento, also from 2022. This improvisation features long, arpeggiated staccato figures ending in a short downward phrase. The lines move in short up-and-down patterns, as though on a hilly landscape, it kind of goes up and goes down, goes up and goes down. I don't want to say an arch because it really does sound like sort of traveling. It's pretty short and sounds like it was a fun piece to improvise or compose. Track six, Pedro Sarmiento is the composer, born in 1977. Sarta, para piano, 2019. Uh, this work starts with a tolling bass note opening up the piano's harmonics. The upper voices are all carefully placed and feature non-traditional harmony again, tones mostly used for the sounds they produce by themselves as opposed to their connection to the rest of the tones that we hear. So there, it's about moments in time, pieces like this. There's a quick pattern that repeats from time to time. I guess you can say there are some mechanical patterns in this piece, like the quick figures or the repeating quarter note chords after 2 minutes and 30 seconds. It's probably a good thing that Arias Asguera separated this from the two brief Catalina Peralta pieces with an improvised composition of his own. Um, this isn't an easy piece to listen to, though it's far more than the intellectual exercises we heard in the 20th century. It's got some intriguing sounds in it, especially in its isolated harmonies. The piece comes in at over eight minutes and sounds a challenge to play. Arias Asguera judges his chord balance and pauses well in order to put this piece across. There's a lot of subtlety of touch and timing. Now, I think I should probably sample this so that you kind of know what's in store for you on this <laughs> album. So I gotta give you a little bit of this. Let's listen.
little rhythmic outbursts in there too mm. at times. Track seven, Juan Domingo Cordoba, born in 1971. Pasillo Flestero, El Intajable, <laughs> circa 2001. This is written. Uh, it means a festive pasillo. Remember, a pasillo is a dance. The infallible. According to Google, <laughs> that's what that's how they translated this. This has a dancing Latin rhythm to it and is a welcome respite from the previous piece. It's easy on the ear and on the feet, too. The melody is catchy. It's the rhythm that prevents this piece from being a straightforward romantic work. It's very much of its uh, time. Let's just hear this one from the beginning. That's good stuff. Track eight, Carolina Noguera, born in 1978. Danzas Fugitivas, composed in 2020. Unlike Cordoba in the previous track, Noguera does not agree with the unmediated use of a traditional genre, as Cordoba did in, by using the pasillo there, and instead references the sound she remembers of it. This is like a memory thing for her. And of course, memory distorts things that we uh, saw long ago, or experienced long ago. Here, that's the curulao, which is a musical genre from the Colombian Pacific region. This work is an attempt to recollect the music of Noguera's infancy, the curulao of the black and indigenous Cauca. All memories are meditated by clusters, polyrhythms, polymeters, percussive effects, drones, and ostinatos. There's a big bass crash on the piano that's allowed to ring and then it's it's rather a shock after the previous uh, dancing piece. There's even scraping and squeaking inside the piano. <laughs> then an ostinato bass line starts at the minute and 40 second mark, as though we're going to start into a dance, and a melody starts. But there are chords and a rhythm in the right hand that don't fit into what's happening in the left hand, so that's the polyrhythms. The dance breaks up, and by the fifth minute, we're hearing light tinkling patterns up high in the piano's range, what I liked about this was the use of the rather brusque-sounding bass chords in a dance rhythm at around the 5-minute and 45-second mark. We hear it again at the 6-minute and 10-second mark. It's a composition whose abstract quality is mitigated by careful placing of the rhythmic sections. Again, we have an excellent guide in Arias Esguera at the piano. Track 9, Amparo Angel. This is a woman composer, by the way. She was born in 1944 and is still with us. Her preludio para piano number six, Franz Liszt, homenaje a Chopin, written in 2021. This sort of uh, Chopin is heard through Liszt's ears and also Amparo Angel's feelings toward the composer's friendship. One that she says is full of sensibility, collective reverie, tenderness, pain, anger, and vital strength. The composer also says the prelude is a chance to remind contemporary audiences of the profound imprint of Chopin's style in the Colombian piano repertoire. It's a nine-minute work that starts simply with unharmonized melody. Warm, light harmony is introduced slowly. It's a great contrast to the previous, more brutal work. This is highly melodic and uses traditional harmony. I'm just thinking when you use a word like brutal, people don't <laughs> want to hear it. You know, you don't want to hear anything brutal. Anyway, and uses traditional harmony. I should probably say something else for that previous track. This particular track, the Chopin 
uh, Franz Liszt Omenahe Chopin. It has also got a light rhythmic component that comes in and out. At a 1 minute and 55 second mark, booming chords accompany in the piano, then beautifully pulled back to expose the theme in a decrescendo. It's a highly arpeggiated piece as well, in parts. I keep saying in parts because the composition has lightly contrasting sections that meld together. By the fifth minute, we're hearing gorgeous full harmony in the piano's melody and arpeggios. But of course, this breaks apart and leads to a new section that starts lightly. We could hear a bit of this. It's a really pretty piece. Let's get into this towards the middle here. friends is the sound of Columbia. <laughs> yes, it is. All right. In the last minute, the piece uh, pulls back for some light heavenly melody in the high end and lightly played harmony afterwards. There's an interesting late list quality in the chords at the end. And actually, you heard a bit of that here, the, the Wagner influence on list. And of course, Chopin is always present. Track 10, Pedro Felipe Ramirez, born in 1979. Los Siete Juegos de Agustan, 2022. It means the seven games of Agustan. Agustan is the composer's son. He's two years old. And the piece is described as seemingly disjointed in terms of origins and characteristics. So seemingly disjointed elements converging. And it was inspired by the games of two-year-old Agustan and by what the composer learned from seeing his son playing. The piece starts with a gently played pattern up high in the piano's range, with melodic material in the middle range. The opening comes across as mysterious and a bit dark. A new theme comes out after this in the high end and ends quickly. Chords are rolled for the next section. There's a lot of space in this piece where the tones are allowed to linger and decay. The middle section engages in this type of playing. Then at 3 minutes and 50 seconds we hear a staccato dance, broken up with a pause, then another staccato pattern. It sounds forced out here, as apparently is how it should sound. By the 6 minute and 16 second mark, a careful two-voiced polyphonic section reels out, and the piece ends on a quiet pattern that sounds like it could go on. Track 11, Mauricio Arias Esguera, our pianist, has another improvisation. This is number 3, Petit Homage à Cowell. Now, I really enjoyed this. It's in Henry Cowell's style, the American composer, and he did a lot of work inside the lid of the keyboard. He would put his hands in there and strum the uh, harp of the piano while holding certain keys down so that he would get certain harmonies. And that's what we hear here. Arias Asguera goes inside the piano and strums the piano strings, as in Cowell's Aeolian Harp Etude. It's a pretty famous American piece. It's a nice sound and a very brief piece. At the 56 second mark, it gets more agitated as a back and forth motion is used, and it ends on a sudden major chord. I liked this, and I'd like you to just kind of hear what it sounds like, just in case you haven't heard the Henry Cowell piece. Here it is.
All right, so we've got our kind of almost Bachian circle back to the uh, tonic chord there, and then <laughs> it goes on from there. Tracks 12 through 14, this is the first multi-movement work on the album. Pajo Casas, born in 1978. Tre Reflexiones, okay, 2015. Each movement has a peak that celebrates with awe the achievements of human cognitive processes. <laughs> I wish we, mm. those were still operating today, <laughs> but I don't know what's going on out there. Anyway, this is a work that uh, salutes that. Each movement is related to mental elaboration, which starts by asking questions, reflecting about them, and finally taking a decision. So those are the themes of the three movements. The first movement is Busqueda, which is a search. This is another piece in 20th century harmonic style, and I guess I should sample one of these. Well, I already sampled one, but I'll sample this one too, so you have an idea of what's in store for you. Let's listen to the beginning. Guess you get a sense of searching from that. At 1 minute and 31 seconds, a rhythm appears that holds a lot of the clashing harmonies together by giving them a sense of movement. It ends on a rather amusing, quiet pattern. The second movement, Introspection, features a short back and forth bass pattern that keeps coming back and gives us something to hang on to during the right hand explorations that are highly unpredictable. By the 1 minute and 56 second mark, we have something more searching and traditional as far as harmony goes. This ends on a loud chord, followed by two quiet repeated chords. The third movement, Decision, is an ostinato melodic pattern heard in the piano's mid-range. It then gets into a toccata-like pattern with hands alternating on staccato chords. The staccato remains as the rhythm picks up the first minute and the lines become more continuous. There's a nice cascading figure up the keyboard, then we hear the ending chords deepen the bass. The final piece on the album is by Juan Antonio Cuellar. He was born in 1966, so close to my age. Three encores in C, 2022. This set of works is a reworking of an earlier suite for concert band written almost 30 years before this one was. Mm. The first movement is a preludio. It has thick resonant chords to begin the piece. The work then changes to something quieter, and thoughtful in its melody and dynamic, but builds into louder gestures with bell-like chords in the high end, spiced up with clashing harmony. At one minute and 30 seconds or so, the music quietens again to something more relaxed, and it ends on a rising pattern. The second movement, labeled Fiesta, starts with a steady ostinato dancing rhythm with very spare chords on top providing thematic material. It's lively, but the harmony is heavy and colorful. The dance comes to a halt at a minute and 30 seconds, and a more introspective section comes in with a linear descending pattern. The bass starts rolling, and from that emerges the opening rhythm again. The third movement is called Horuko, and this title indicates that this is a mixture of the rhythmic patterns of the Horopo and Bambuko. He's um, combined the two words mm. to title this. There are two genres of Colombian, Andes and Llanos, Colombian, Venezuelan flatlands that dance vigorously. This is a lively dance with some subtle decoration up in the high end of the piano. 
It's a good encore piece with a good build-up to the end, guaranteed to have the audience applauding. Let's just hear the end of this piece. Oh, yeah. Probably should have given more of that, but you'll have to go look for it. This album gets high marks for its programming. Mauricio Arias Esguera has programmed some very abstract, even experimental music in between more popular and dance-like pieces, having us take our medicine in between the sweets and enjoying it as a result. Actually, I'm probably going a little too far with that. The more difficult works are still very listenable. They're not really just intellectual exercises. There's content in them. Judging by the music, Colombian music features a combination of traditional Latin music and 20th century avant-garde European music, and there's a lot of romantic type of European music in there as well. And we get a fair sampling of both, or really all, on this album. In fact, what we're hearing is that Colombian music is pretty complicated. They're, they have a lot of different styles there. Some borrowed, some uh, indigenous to the culture. In fact, you could say all of them are indigenous to the culture, because they've got their own take on the European styles as well. Adias Esguera's playing is very sensitive to the styles. You can tell he loves this music and wants the world to love it too. And I have to say, some of it isn't easy to love, but it's all very easy to accept. And as I've said, Adias Esguera makes it all accessible via his playing, and not least his programming of the works. It's a look into the world of Colombian art music for the piano. Yeah, virtuosic piano playing and the program, as you say, is interesting. You've got some traditional dances in there. You've got some real modernisms in uh, harmony <laughs> and things. But even in those, even in the most dissonant sections of those, the rhythmic content stands out and it sort of pulls you through those. And then in the middle, you've got that nice little kind of romantic, the list and Chopin homage piece, which I thought was really pretty too. Yeah. And yeah, it was kind of interesting. You get a little sense of the character of the composition of these composers who you're probably not going to have the opportunity to listen to somewhere else unless you search them out. So if it's a project he wants to continue on with, yeah, I'd be interested to find out more about this Colombian music in the piano tradition. Caught my ear. Yeah, we certainly hope that uh, talking about it here gives it a wider audience, too, that um, some yeah. of our listeners will want to hear it, too. All right, next we're going to go to a new series that's starting, also on the Toccata Classics label, their Toccata Next series, the Mexican Harp, Volume 1, Concertos and Solos. This is the beginning of a project. The harpist is Janet Paulus, and she's uh, with the Solistas de Mineria, conducted by Carlos Miguel Prieto. Uh, this album, as I said earlier, also has an attractively colorful art cover, a little reminiscent in its pink and black of the adult music logo. Ooh. So very striking that way, but it has blue in it too. So right. it's not like ours. It grabs the eye though. That's what we were after too. We were after a lot of things with our logo. <laughs> anyway, Janet Paulus, originally from New York, has been principal harpist of the Mineria Symphony Orchestra in Mexico City, since 2002, so she's been there for mm. 20, no, now 21 years. This project has been in the works for a while when it was made possible thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, people will think of it badly, but it gave us so many wonderful things like the adult music podcast and right. this album and this project and a lot of other great uh, recordings that we've talked about as well. 
This starts with a work by Eduardo Angulo. I should mention there are three composers on this album. It's not a, <laughs> a new right. composer with each track. Three composers are featured. The first one is Eduardo Angulo. He was born in 1954. He's a contemporary composer. His prelude for harp, Lo que yo nunca juzgué que fuera a tus manos, composed in 2007. This is part of a series of works that include a string trio, songs for voice, and piano and choral works inspired by the texts of Sor Juana Ines de la Cruz, who lived from 1648 to 1695. And the composer greatly admires her works. Let's hear the opening of this piece. It's very pretty. This composer, Angul Eduardo Angulo, has a real ear for melody, as you'll hear right away. It's a pretty opening to the uh, for this album for the solo harp. The piece has uh, an appealing set of melodies and a lot of slowly arpeggiated accompaniment. It's appealing all the way through and highly melodic. The recording is on the dry side, as you've heard, with the harp pretty close. All nuances are caught. Now that sounds going to change in this next work because we're going to uh, work for harp and orchestra, so the spaces are all different. Now this is also Eduardo Angulo. And Angulo wrote this piece after returning from the Netherlands, where he studied composition. So he was there in the uh, big bad days of atonalism and <laughs> dodecaphonic music. The first and third movements reflect the quiet Dutch landscapes, and the second movement reflects the magical forests of a Tolkien novel. So like Lord mm. of the Rings. In the concerto, get this, Angulo uses a completely tonal language as a way of forgetting his years of composition studies in the Netherlands, <laughs> where he was required to write only atonal music. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was the way it was in the 20th century when classical music lost its whole audience. And here I am trying to bring it back. You guys, you should all be listening to this, everybody. Come on. All right. First movement. Allegro Vivace. The opening has a bit of a Mexican lilt to the melody, and the orchestra is recorded at a bit of a distance and doesn't sound as full as it could. The harp comes in just after the 52nd mark with the melody that opened the work. And I'd like to sample the uh, close of the orchestra part and the uh, harp's entry right there. So let's try this out. I think the engineer captures the harp sound a lot better in this concerto than in the, the drier, like, opening work. But both pieces sound really good. The harp gets a bit of a, an opening solo spot there and starts interacting with the orchestra on the melodic material. This is highly appealing at first listen, as I hope you've noticed, uh, with melodies that are easy to identify when they return. They're very pleasant on the ear, and the movement is rather gentle. At the 4 minute and 12 second mark, the harp takes a rather contemplative cadenza, 
Again, it falls lightly on the ear. Angulo writes highly appealing music. I have to say, though, the strings are rather shrill sounding on the recording when they're massed in the high end. The recording captures the harp exceptionally well in this particular track. It's less dry here and further away than in the first track. The composition itself is melodically inventive with many appealing ideas. The piece appears to be heading to a soft landing. A rather Hollywood orchestration bursts out and the movement ends on a joyous note. Yeah, this guy, his talent would have been wasted if he had <laughs> composed a total music. He's got a great ear for melody, so he definitely made the right decision to compose tonal music. The second movement, Allegretto Grazioso, gorgeous chiming harp sounds, open this movement. Oh, and we have to hear this because this is really good. I, I promise I'm not going to sample every track, <laughs> although maybe some people want that, but this really grabbed my ear. Let's listen. getting interesting there i like that beautiful like six eight sort of floating quality mm. to the opening the rhythm has a kind of a chugging motion to it above it angulo comes up with still more appealing melodies the harp and orchestra play off each other then at the four minute mark the harp gets the spotlight with a new rhythm and theme the orchestra eventually comes in with gentle sympathetic accompaniment after this the orchestra introduces a sort of dance rhythm and melodic line at about the sixth minute, this becomes a ticking rhythm that continues to the end of the movement, which has a sudden, unexpected ending. The third and final movement, the finale, Allegro Molto, starts with tremolo strings providing a bed for the rapid harp playing. We hear chords and arpeggios from the harp. The harp goes off into other harmonic territory with the orchestra, then returns to the opening material in the third minute. At 4 minutes and 30 seconds, strands of string instruments break up and lead to a chiming harp cadenza, with the orchestra occasionally coming in to trace melodies or comment. The harp has a lot of appealing figures, very idiomatic for the harp, as you imagine, arpeggios are among them. At around uh, the 6 minute and 45 second mark, the reverie is suddenly interrupted by the opening material and heads to the end. Okay, on track 5 we get a new composer. This is Arturo Rodriguez. His piece, Saudad, which is, uh, I think, also a memory or a recollection. This was written in 2007, originally for solo harp. And then in 2009, Rodriguez um, kept hearing a string orchestra accompaniment in his head and finally adapted the work for solo harp and strings. He considers the orchestra version to be the definitive one, and it's the one we hear here. This 13-minute work is romantic in sound and scope, and it's the longest single movement of the album. It starts mysteriously with plucked arpeggios that don't resolve until the end of the long drifting line. The orchestra comes in for shimmering string accompaniment under the harp's quiet chords and themes. The material remains this way for some time until the sixth minute, the harp begins the uh, repeating pattern of plucked arpeggiated tones. The harp is caught in these patterns for a few minutes. Then at seven minutes and 15 seconds or so, the orchestra decides on some clear chords and it lays down as a bed for the long playing of the harp. At the end of its phrase in the eighth minute, the harp escapes to a new key and the orchestra plays tremolo chords as the harp plays quick arpeggiated chords. Orchestra and soloist eventually find their way back to familiar material 
and rhapsodize on it. The piece remains mostly calm throughout and gets into a soothing tone at the end, which is stretched out via harmony. The piece ends calmly and shimmeringly. We get four um, solo works by um, Rodriguez next. The um, first one is called Amanecer from uh, 2012. Uh, I should mention Rodriguez was born in 1976 and he's um, a contemporary composer. So this solo work is originally for the piano, as are the next four works. And we've returned to the closer, drier sound of the harp. To tell the truth, the instrument sounded more attractive in the concerto and in the uh, saudade that we just heard. Uh, no matter, the playing is sensitive, and the piece is gentle and melodic, with arpeggio accompaniment. The piece ends with lovely arpeggios. Track 7 is Rodriguez's Pensando en Ti. 2014. As the title suggests, this is a gentle work as well. It's got some clashing tones in the block chord harmony that adds some spice. I think there's a bit of regret in these thoughts of you, but certainly there's a longing there as well. Track 8, Morning Rain, composed in 2022. This Morning Rain has a waltzing feel to it. There's a constant rhythm like a constant pattering, but one's ear is on the rhythm here. The rain seems to be dancing rather than falling. It's a lovely piece. Harpists, uh, why not include this in your repertoire? Let's uh, sample this so we can hear some of Arturo Rodriguez's music. for piano but this really works well on the mm. harp the uh, ninth track is um, the last work by Arturo Rodriguez on the album Reencuentro 2014 plucked chords begin the piece and the piece proceeds like this pretty much at a slow tempo the final composer on the album is Jorge Torres Saenz born in 1968 this is called Mil y una grulas composed in 2021 to 2022 means a thousand and one cranes there's a story behind this janet paulus's the harpist's mother is japanese and when paulus was a child her mother taught her how to make origami figures in 1997 on a trip to poland where paulus's um, husband is from they visited auschwitz where she saw the commemorative crane mobiles that japanese visitors had placed by the ovens and gas chambers, which then inspired Paulus to start making cranes herself. She gave the composer of this piece, uh, Torres Saenz, a crane mobile of um, 1,000 origami cranes, a sign of good luck for Japanese people, as a birthday gift, and that inspired Torres Saenz to write this piece. The first movement is Allegramente. It moves away from the highly tonal, almost romantic music we've heard on this album so far. String effects like Sul Ponticello playing, that playing the, with the bow near the bridge that gives um, the violin kind of a more disembodied, um, non-vibrato, non-warm sound, are heard in the orchestra. The music is tonal with some dissonances, and we hear effects in the harp like harmonics as well. In fact, Torres Science seems to like harmonics a lot, not just in the harp either, in the strings as well. And he wants that ghostly feel throughout this piece. The harp has the more straightforward material here and breaks into a rather spare harmonics-laden solo in the first minute. 
The work features a lot of ghostly harmonics in the strings, but is fairly straightforward, harmonically speaking. <laughs> Meaning in the harmony, not <laughs> the harmonics. The piece ends shortly after this with a natural fade. The second movement is marked lento, and it has a really high, almost chilling harmonics on the strings as the harp sharply plucks tones along with harmonic notes. This is probably a good place to sample as it'll give you an idea of what this piece is going to sound like. Not sure how loudly that uh, came across, but you can hear those strings high up. This rather ups the ante from the harmonics heard in the previous movement. The strings almost sound like a glass harmonica here. Glass harmonica is <laughs> um, when you kind of wet your fingers and play the rim of your champagne glass, I guess, <laughs> or your wine glass. There are instruments that were made. In fact, Benjamin Franklin made one in a box where he put all these glasses together and they kind of soak in the bottom of them soak in water as they spin and you play them almost like a piano with your fingers take a look on the uh internet for that glass harmonica again the music is tonal with odd sounding and ghostly otherworldly effects <laughs> which you've heard at the four minute and 30 second mark we hear traditional circling chord arpeggios in the harp which stand out in this context the more mysterious strongly plucked harp chords over ghostly string harmonica returns in the fifth minute. I should mention the harp sounds full and blends with the natural room reverb well in this piece. It's only the pieces for harp solo that sound really dry. The third and final movement, Vivo, starts with strongly plucked harp chords and creeping quick pizzicati in the orchestra, so there's a textural change here. More high harmonics and sul ponticello bowing are heard in the strings. The pizzicati are heard in a rhythm that the harp picks up in its line at the beginning of the first minute. In the second minute, for the first time in the work, we hear a strong rhythm that gives the work motion. So I guess we should hear this too. Those harp glissandos have this really full sense of, mm. you know, the harmonics that the harp puts out. It's, they're really strong. Uh, this section dissolves into sustained harmonies and faint bowed patterns in the strings as the harp plays accentuated brief lines, often only individually unconnected notes. The piece ends rather inconclusively with a natural fade of the string harmony. In the 13th track, Jorge Torres Sáenz's Alice Dreams from 2019. Alice is Alice in Wonderland. This work was originally written for the piano and has some piquant chords. Oh, I like that word, piquant. And seems to rely on the quality given to individual notes or chords for its expression. Tone, dynamic, accentuation, that sort of thing. It's a 20th century way of expressing oneself. 
The harp sounds clean and well-recorded here. It's a slow piece and just sort of drops off at the end. An odd kind of like dot, dot, dot kind of conclusion to an interesting album of music, really. So the harp concerto and opening prelude, both by Eduardo Angulo, were enough to sell me on this album, the concerto being the album's highlight, in my opinion. Angulo has got a lot of appealing melodic ideas that come at you one after another. Arturo Rodriguez's music is melodically appealing as well, and his prolonged work for harp and orchestra Saudade plays with stretching out the harmony so that those melodies can continue. These works should be better known. For the most part, this is an album of very traditionally attractive music, and any lover of the harp will enjoy it on its surface. There's a lot to listen to in the mostly traditional approaches of the composers to the harp. When I say traditional, I don't mean traditionally Mexican, though. The opening prelude may betray some Mexican influence, but most of these works have more of a traditionally European feel to them as filtered through these Mexican composers. The shorter solo works are salon pieces, but beautiful ones that would enchant his encores at a recital. And again, most of them, I think only the first ones that were written for harp. The others are all for originally for piano, so you can check those out if you're a pianist as well. There are only three composers featured on the album. The last, Jorge Torres Saenz, provides the tonal spice rack with his more modernist approach, featuring a lot of harmonics. It's an enjoyable album, and hopefully will give these works a wider audience, as well as inspire harpists, and maybe even some pianists for the solo works, to take these works on. An interesting program, for sure. The first one struck me as particularly piano-like in the performance, even if it's written for a harp. And then I noticed a big change in character. And then for most of the album, you've got these works that really bring out the dreamy charm of the harp. <laughs> those long arpeggios. Right, they love those arpeggios in the harp. Then it's recorded with a little bit more room sound, so you get that ambiance too. And that's what's cool about the harp, but you can always get too much of that on a harp recording. But you don't get that here, because when you get to the end, you've got that Taurus science work, which is a bit more challenging and modern. I'm thinking that probably should have come in the middle. Maybe <laughs> so, we, yeah. you know. Yeah. In any case, you get a lot of variety and you get some different ideas of the type of atmosphere that the harp can make and some interesting music, most of which is real easy on the ear. So I enjoyed it. All right. We're still going to go to uh, Latin America for the jazz now, aren't we? We're still on the Latin train for the jazz section. Now, if you happen to be in the U.S., you won't have to get your passport out because it's going to come to you from Venezuela for our first recording. I mean, he really? already has come. And that's Mr. Nelson Gonzalez Barreto with his new recording on Catapult Recordings called It Blurs As We Speak. It's an intriguing title. It just came out on October 6th. Mr. Gonzalez Barreto is a bass player. However, he was a musical prodigy coming from Caracas, Venezuela. Appears that he started playing the cuatro the four-stringed instrument of Venezuela, but he found his way to the bass by the age of 14. He studied at the Ars Nova School of Music and the itinerant School of Music Learning Jazz and made his way to Oklahoma, <laughs> studying at the University of Central Oklahoma. He got a BA in Arts Administration and an MA in Jazz Studies. And he plays in his own quartet, also collaborates along a range of other genres from funk, musical theater, big band rock, and hip-hop. And one of his most relevant projects is B and the Hive, an indie jazz rock group. Now, the 
notes about this album state quote it blurs as we speak serves as a reflection of life post pandemic and how events and feelings start to merge together into one big blur each piece reflects a specific event in which it is easy to say what happened but not when it happened the only exception to this rule applies to the last three pieces a suite for Juan Barreto, a series of songs dedicated to Nelson's grandfather who passed away in late 2021. For this album, Nelson combines elements of his own Venezuelan culture with a contemporary jazz scope to bring something unique that feels danceable and cathartic. I just want to say I totally relate to that uh, remembering that something happened but not remembering when. Oh, jeez. Those years are uh, a real blur. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And this is his debut recording. So we've got Nelson Gonzalez on bass, Lee Rucker on trumpet, Sam Vaughn tenor sax, Michael Potts on alto sax, Kendrick McKinney piano, David Bowen drums, J.R. Pettis on additional percussion. It was also mixed by Nelson Gonzalez and mastered by Brian Gorell and Nelson Gonzalez. We're going to start out with track one, Castaway. Quarter note piano pedal tones and other notes are joined by drum brushes and bass after 10 measures making a 19 measure intro. The horns come in for a legato melody on top for a 16 measure section and then Gonzalez sets a solo ostinato bass groove. Latin percussion joins in and the horns are back for more animated lines. It's pretty cool so let's take a listen to that getting started. Fitted out as it's just getting cool there. I love that transition to that. Very nice, rhythm. yeah. Yeah. Well, those horns get animated, as I said, then they split off into different parts, building the excitement over the percussion, and then return to the more flowing theme. Things get quiet for a solo from Gonzalez. He's got a deep woody tone and works out melodic ideas with aggressive articulation. The groove dissipates and then works up again for a tenor sax solo from Vaughn. Bowen drives it really hard on the drums underneath. At the end, Vaughn in the rhythm section work it into a rhythmic riff, and he keeps on blowing as the other horns get some flowing backing parts. This is pretty exciting too, so let's check in again around the five minute mark to see what's going on.
There's those horns flowing in. Then the Latin percussion and drums get an extended section to work out on, and Gonzalez is back with the ostinato to bring in the busier Latin horn lines that get hard drum accents to the end. It's a really exciting arrangement to get things started on the recording. Track two is called Afterthoughts, comma, How I've Obtained Loss. Gonzalez starts it out with a rhythmic half-step idea that's joined by the piano for an eight-measure intro, making a slow processional kind of feel. Lee Rooker takes the melody solo on trumpet. Soft sax lines come in in spots for backing, and the rhythm gets some different subdivisions. And then Kendrick McKinney is up for a piano solo, and the beat changes up to kind of a double-time waltz feel. The rhythm resets to the original slow four and then transforms to the waltzing feel for an alto sax solo from Michael Potts. He has an airy Paul Desmond-like tone. It chills down again for a melodic bass solo from Gonzalez with some nice rhythmic interaction from the piano. Rucker returns to the melody on trumpet and he gets to hang on solo to finish it as it fades out. I like the recurring rhythmic transformations in this tune. Track three, San Joaquin. The drums start this one out with an energetic bass drum and hollow something. I don't think it's a cowbell, but something like that <laughs> that gets a hit there. Gonzalez adds a cool rising bass riff and the piano joins too, bringing in pots on a 32-measure sax melody line on top. Harmonized flowing horn lines get the next section over busy rhythms underneath. Things chill and slow way down to a new groove for a trumpet solo from Rooker, and it builds up excitingly with rhythms and horn lines. Let's check it out at about a minute and 20 seconds. backing lines there. There's another reset down to the chill out and then build back up with a tenor sax solo from Vaughn with snappy weaving licks as the rhythm transforms again and then McKinney gets a go on the piano after that. Potts is back with the sax melody into the horn sections we heard earlier and the percussion build it up to an exciting endy under the final repeated phrases. Another tune with fun rhythmic metamorphosis. Track four is Swim it starts as a slow ballad with a sax melody from Vaughn over the rhythm section for eight measures. The other horns join in for backing for the next section. And then another transformation, a repeated ringing bass note and chiming piano chords get joined by harmonized legato horn lines uh, that flow along with a little more motion. Back to the ballad feel for a fluttery and sweet alto solo from Potts with pretty melodic ideas. McKinney gets an ambling but rhythmic piano solo that gets flowing horn lines for backing. It gets quiet with chiming piano over the heartbeat bass to bring Vaughn back in on the original melody line and a soft finish. Track 5, I'm Out. 
A fun start for this one. The drums get it going. Gonzalez adds a cool syncopated bass line joined by piano, and the horns are in with a crazy gliss into unpredictable phrases. Then everyone is swinging for a 16-measure horn melody section. This is pretty neat, so let's check it out. Yeah, well, the syncopation is back for another eight measures, and then things come down calm for McKinney to get started on a piano solo that picks up swinging with energetic horn lines and hits. Another reset for Vaughn to solo on tenor next, following the same work up to swing. He gets to continue on over the syncopated section, building up more tension. There's a pause before Gonzalez gets a rhythmic groove started on bass and new soft horn lines float on top. The drums build up underneath and Gonzalez gets a furious walking line going. Then the syncopated section with horn lines works up to an ending with some horn flourishes. Now we'll get into the suite. Track six, suite for Juan Barreto. One, false modesty is hypocrisy. The drums start this one out and Gonzalez joins in with a tricky bass riff. The horns are in and there's a lot of complicated syncopation and changes. It seems to be a fast six beat feel, so let's check out how this one gets going. stuff going on there. Mm. A rocker gets a nice trumpet solo here that changes up to a chugging swing feel and then back again and Potts follows with an alto solo that gets two swing interludes and he really digs in on the Latin sections. McKinney gets a go on piano next and then Gonzalez gets the last solo really digging in on the rhythmic articulation. So let's hear a little bit of his solo. Thank you. 
digging in there on those lines. The horns are back with some final busy lines to end it all. Track 7, number 2 of The Sweet Sacrifices. Rucker's trumpet calls in the beginning with a glowing tone over snare rolls from Bowen. It's a slow, even procession with the saxes backing him. McKinney chimes out a piano interlude and soft horn lines lay on top until Rucker's theme returns. Potts has an alto sax solo that builds up slowly and the piano chimes return with soft horn lines again and Rucker gets to finish it up with his trumpet theme. And then the final track on the recording, part three of the suite, Not Looking Back. Gonzalez gets this going with an infectious groove for eight measures. Drums are in for another round, and then piano and the horns with the melody. It's an A-A-B-A form with 12 measure sections. Let's check this out. section once more there. Gonzalez gets to solo first, keeping that rhythmic feel of the groove throughout, and McKinney is next on piano, so let's check out some of his solo a little bit later on here. rhythmic ideas there. Rucker gets around on trumpet and then it's Bowen's chance on the drums. It comes down soft with just tambourine going on for a bit. Vaughn and then Potts start things up with the saxes until everyone is back in with each horn doing its own thing before they join up again on the horn melody section from the beginning to a slowed down ending with a little harmonic surprise at the end. A great debut recording, I think, fresh-sounding originals with pleasing melodies and interesting arrangements. The common theme here is changing rhythms, and most of the tunes have a lot of transformation, often during the solos, which keeps the musicians on their toes and inspired. A lot of good Latin grooves, 
hard swinging sections, and some tender ballad moments. Gonzalez's bass playing is solid and authoritative with melodic solos. The three horns are arranged well, and their unique personalities come out well in their inspired solos. Bowen's drums drive it well, and the extra percussion from Pettis is tasty, and McKinney's piano playing sounds great too. I'm looking forward to hearing more from his playing and also composition pen. I really like the way these pieces all have these like contrasting rhythm sections. And you pointed out one in one of the earlier tracks where the uh, groove suddenly turned into swing and then right. it stopped and went back to the, the other ones. I th- things like that were, are pretty interesting to me. Mm. They really keep me on your toes. And uh, that, that sense of constant surprise to me was very appealing, you know, especially as regarding rhythm. Right. Often they build from slow to fast. Solos will do the same. They'll kind of start kind of with this slow sort of beginning and then build up to something mm. really hot. The album, to me, came across as quasi-composed because of all this complexity. I mean, it may not have been, but just that's what I was hearing. There were a lot of sensitively played solos in the album, which is uh, also surprising for a Latin jazz because um, solos will usually explode out of the texture playing hot. And we got a lot of, you know, sort of more mellow solos, or at least the, the beginning were mellow. I especially took to the sensitive sax solo in Swim, mm. as well as the piano solo that followed on the same track. That was a really good track, in fact, Swim. Why don't you? Everybody sample that one all the way through. I enjoyed the piano chord voicings, as you mentioned. Uh, the bass had a full thumping sound that I always like to hear, and you heard that on that bass solo that you played, too. His solos were melodic and ear-catching. Not always the case for a bass solo, <laughs> right, but yeah. here it was really good. Um, it's an inventive album, like you said, compositionally, and I like the slow-to-fast approach of many of the tracks. Yeah, good one. Let's hear some more. Yeah. All right, take your passport again, because we're going to go down to Brazil. I always wanted to go to Brazil. <laughs> and we're going to hear from the Paulo Braga Piano Trio, Feral, released on... October 10th. Now, Paulo Braga was born in Jundai. He graduated in piano from the Conservatory of Tatui and was responsible for the creation of the Department of Popular Music there, which he coordinated until 1994. He was a professor at Unicamp and served as artistic and pedagogical coordinator at EMESP, Tom Hobin. School of Music for the State of Sao Paulo from 2009 to 2023. He's taught workshops at the Juilliard School in New York City, performing in the programming of Carnegie Hall. He's been a soloist in front of some important orchestras and groups, among them the Symphonic Band and Jazz Symphony Orchestra of the State of Sao Paulo, the Royal Philharmonic Concert Orchestra, the Camerata Via Lobos. Well, this is his first album in a kind of traditional jazz setting, Feral, which I think means a lighthouse or beacon. Braga is here on piano with all original compositions, Bruno Migotto on double bass and Edu Ribeiro on drums, who has uh, two awards at the Grammy Awards with the album song for Maura by Trio Corrente and Paquito de Rivera, in which he was producer, composer, and performer. Best Latin Jazz Album at the Grammy Awards USA 2013 and at the Latin Grammys 2014. The recording kicks off with a track called Babel, B-A-B-E-L-L. This tune has a lot of rhythmic transformations throughout. It starts out light and pretty with a 12-beat repeating note rhythm pattern in the left hand and delicate right hand notes moving above 
until the cymbals and bass join in. Let's hear that. From there, things get a bit heavy with piano chords and a kind of three or maybe six beat rhythmic push develops. At about two minutes, more piano improvisations from Braga, and then the beat becomes more free before solidifying again. And Braga works that up into a rippling frenzy of notes. Let's hear some of this wave build up from about two and a half minutes in. Exciting. I like how he releases all that tension melodically. And then he goes on to building another wave with chords and dissonance. It works into a rhythmic vamp of piano chords for Ribeiro to work up some drums to the end of the tune. Track two is called O Lugar. I think that means the place. Ah, a 7-8 meter tune. <laughs> Remember oh we had one like four weeks in a row for every episode? Right. It seems to be in style. Yeah, it's a meter that gives a constant feeling of pushing ahead. Here, Raga gets alternating rhythmic piano chords in groups of four and three, and Migoto works a bass ostinato underneath that makes some exciting syncopated interaction. Let's hear how this works out. build it up again into a flowing piano melody line that ends in some crashing dissonant chords and then more separated note melody ideas. Things get quiet for a bendy bass solo from Migoto and then some staccato piano ideas from Braga. 
Ruby Arrow constantly changes things up with clicks and symbols underneath, and Braga builds up with big chords into the separated note section again, before they build up from piano chords and ostinato into the flowing line melody and second section to finish it up. Track 3, Cabeta de Melao, which I think means Melonhead. <laughs> Interesting title. <laughs> this one starts out with a cute high staccato piano melody with some second intervals. It's quick and playful. Then it suddenly relaxes and becomes legato and rubato as an intro into a pretty and flowing melody joined by bass and drums. Seems to be an ABA 24 measure construction. Ribeiro works a light hi-hat and cymbal rhythm with clicks in the middle section pushing it along. It lightens for Braga to float improvisations over ringing bass. The rhythmic push with throbbing bass ebbs and flows under his ideas. He has some cool descending two-hand ideas on the way, ending with some dreamy, light, and high ringing piano that slows as he is left solo working on the rubato melody. It gets back into tempo with the bass and drums for another run through the melody with a delicate ending section higher on the piano. Track four, I guess this is Julho, which means July, and then however you say 18 in Portuguese, I'm not sure. Uh, Braga gets it going with an incredibly tricky five-beat left-hand piano figure. Add in right-hand punchy dissonant chords, drums, and a bass ostinato, and things get moving along. And there's some tension-building breaks, too. Another really interesting rhythmic thing, so let's take a listen to this. sounds really hard to play. (laughs) What thins out with percussive dissonant chords over bass throbs and drum fills, Braga then works more legato piano lines into some more intensely rhythmic but smoothly connected improvisations for a while before getting really percussive. They get back to the melody we heard after the intro section, pushing it hard to the end. Track 5, Mania, Morning. It's time to chill out now with a ballad. Slow and soft with drum brushing, Braga drips out pretty high ringing notes for an eight measure intro. The melody's 32 measures, pretty and dreamy, Braga letting the notes flow out like honey, Ribeiro mixing the batter underneath with his brushes. Magoto's up first for a deep and ringing bass solo with longing melodic ideas, so let's hear some of that. Thank you. 
big woody tone there. Hmm. Braga has an improvised solo next, showing a sensitive touch and dynamics. There's a nice pause before he returns to the melody, with a dreamy ending over rising bass figures from Migoto. Track 6, Muita Hora Nessa Calma. A lot of time in this calm, I think it means. Soft and ringing solo piano figures gain momentum into connected lines. It's a happy and rhythmic theme that gets parallel bass movement below in spots. It gets a bit breezy before Braga works it up rhythmically into another run through the melody. And Braga changes up the rhythmic feel for some improvisations. They get some polyrhythmic feels going over the drums and bass. They get started on another run through the melody, but it gets an interesting change up with some snare work from Ribeiro that holds everything back, and Braga floats its solo for a few measures until they end it together happily. It's a very joyful tune. Track 7, the title track, Feral, which I think means lighthouse, another interesting and challenging rhythmically layered start. Darting six-note bass and left-hand figures traced by cymbals come under slow and measured right-hand piano figures to become more rhythmic before everything congeals into a fast three-beat rhythm for the melody. Let's hear this one get going. it's rolling along and I'd say it's three beats instead of six because of how the melody is phrased there are two eight measure sections then a three measure section before it gets going again as kind of variations in eight measure sections there's one more four measure kind of transition later too I'm not sure of the construction but we hear that whole thing once more the rhythmic push dissipates and it gets soft for Braga's improvisations that ring out and soon build in intensity and get snappy rhythmic formations. Let's check out some of what he's doing later on at around three minutes. comes down soft again for another trip through the melodic sections and a softly ringing piano ending. And the final track, Nono de Botica. Ringing piano chords and descending triplet figures make a flowing intro, bass intervals and cymbals 
add to the flow that brings in rising and falling right-hand melody lines. It seems that it's in a 10-8 kind of measurement with those long flowing lines. There are little syncopated rhythmic piano chords in between phrases too, and nice modal changes. As I listen to this, it reminds me a lot of Vince Guaraldi a bit. If he had made a Charlie Brown Goes Brazilian soundtrack. <laughs> Now you're going to want to hear it after I said that. So let's hear how this gets Maybe going. A Charlie Brown Carnival or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Charlie Brown Carnival. Those little floating phrases remind me of that skating or something. Right. Uh, I thought like I actually wrote that that exact track down. Oh, really? Yeah. And I also want to say Vince Guaraldi did make a sort of bossa nova based album that Jazz Impressions of Black Orpheus. Oh, right. So the he Black did Orpheus, play in this yeah. style. Yeah. Yeah. What's really interesting is that long phrase. As I said, it's like in a 10 8 kind of feel, which gives it a real kind of extension. Anyway, there are more uplifting modal changes that come along, and Braga has smooth and flowing improvisations on this one, working to a climax of more ringing note ideas that come down softly as he's left on his own. He works into the melody again in the upper register as bass and drums work back in for a final flow together to the end. I just want to say also, for those who aren't familiar with the names of Vince Guaraldi's tracks, skating, if you watch the Charlie Brown Christmas, it's the part where Snoopy is skating alone on the, uh, that's, right. that's the piano music that's playing there. Yeah. It's, it's called skating. Just reminds me of that in its kind of atmosphere. Right. Anyway, I found this recording to be really enchanting, full of interesting rhythmic changes. It's structured, but the trio is never afraid to flow freely. And Braga's compositions have dreamy melodies, scary complex rhythmic figures, and a lot of variety. <laughs> it all works together nicely with his varied touch, from percussive to buttery smooth lines. The synergy and communication of the trio is great. Ribeiro is a real painter of textures on the drums, and he constantly draws your ear with interesting sounds on the drum kit. Pulsing and ringing bass from Migoto shines in spots too. Put this on for a great afternoon of modern Brazilian jazz. You know, when I was listening to this album, I was thinking, we should introduce this guy to Mauricio Arias Esguera, the pianist on the Columbia Viva classical album <laughs> that we heard in the uh, classical section of this podcast. In the more aggressive tracks, he gets a similar sound. He's got hmm. a lot of clashing notes in his chords, and it just kind of reminded me of that uh, right. Colombian music, even though he's Brazilian. Hmm. Anyway, this piano trio gets a full-spectrum sound throughout the album Braga covers a lot of uh, frequency range via ringing overtones triggered by his like ostinato chord patterns like he likes those repeating chords and then that just kind of releases all these yeah. harmonics on the high end of the piano when you press the uh, pedal down he plays the piano like it's um, like it's a percussion instrument on the more aggressive tracks 
And he also plays warmly, too. I mean, I don't want to make it right. sound like he doesn't. We heard that, too. As in uh, Cabeza de Melao. <laughs> it's Melonhead. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a pretty sound. Yeah, it doesn't really sound like it should be called <laughs> Melonhead. I don't know. And uh, Manya, also, he plays beautifully on that track, too. Uh, both very pretty tracks. Braga also has an ear for uh, thematic patterns that stick in the ear. Um, they're often in places where you don't expect them, like mm -hmm. in the middle or toward the end of a track, you know, not at the beginning where you're going to, you know, really mm -hmm. just grab it right away. And they magically emerge from the texture and raise a smile when you hear them. So um, I, I like that, actually, even though I feel like, you know, this, this could be a main theme somewhere right. a lot of times. He's got a lot of good spontaneous melodic ideas in his solos when he's in melodic mode and will occasionally get a catchy line in when he's playing a busy solo with a lot of rhythm and figures. Anyway, he's a very versatile pianist in the, to yeah. sum up, and uh, the rest of the trio provide enjoyable rhythms. It was a, you know, it was a pretty interesting album. It kind of yeah. had a lot of, uh, a lot of variety on it. Plus, it was a challenge for me to try to figure out what he was doing and put it in some yeah. semblance of words there. So, yeah, exciting. And yeah, I'll associate certain techniques, like you said, Vince Guaraldi. I'll associate certain techniques with certain, say, classical composers. So when you're playing the piano as an aggressive, like kind of percussive instrument, I think Bartok right away, because he oh, kind of right. mm -hmm. made that his style in classical music, even though, you know, it might be natural even in other cultures. Like even jazz, I mean, there's a percussive in, you know, in the uh, the ragtime and right. the stride era, it was a percussive instrument then. Mm -hmm. They played it like it was a percussive instrument. All right, the last stop on the Latin tour. We're not going to send you back home. We're just going to leave you off in Spain. And you can find your way back from there. Yeah, across the ocean, though, this time, though. We're right. Go to Europe. Go back to the uh, source. I could be left in Europe. That'd be okay. Yeah, that'd be all right. Good food. We're going to go flamenco, or kind of new flamenco jazz here, with saxophonist and singer Antonio Lizana and his new recording, Vishuda, which is decidedly not Spanish <laughs> in name. Yeah. It's on Crystal Records. There's a couple of different Crystal Records. This is the C-R-I-S-T-A-L company. And this came out October 13th from Andalusia, southern Spain. He's a rising star of new flamenco jazz. He's a saxophonist, flamenco singer, and composer who combines flamenco roots and contemporary jazz. He's performed in more than 30 countries, and he's been one of the only Spanish artists to record an American NPR Tiny Desk concert. He's wow. collaborated with Arturo Ofero, Alejandro Sanz, and other collaborations include Snarky Puppy, Marcus Miller, Chano Dominguez, and Alfredo Rodriguez. About this recording, that title, Vishuddha is the name of the fifth chakra of ah. the Hindu tradition. And this is how Lizana's new album is presented. I guess this means purity. What does the Vishuddha does? Vishuddha. Okay. If it's the fifth chakra, it's probably, I don't know which one that is, probably around the heart. I got to look at a chart. All the, all the yoga people out there are going to be, no, it's this. You know, I know what it is. The notes say it's accredited with the power to express our deepest truth, bringing beauty to this world. Well, it says that he guides us through different flamenco palos, or traditional forms, recognizable to any good aficionado, arranged and interpreted in an original, generous, and ambitious way, where joy and jazz are one. It's probably the throat chakra then, because it, it was expressing. I really mm. enjoy listening to flamenco, but uh, I guess I'm not a good aficionado, because I'm completely ignorant. 
<laughs> of the terminology for the forms and techniques used in the music. I do know something about the harmonies and scales they use, like they use the Phrygian mode and Phrygian dominant harmonic minor scale a lot. But I guess the polos can be categorized by mood or feel. There's like groups of them. Cante grande, cante intermedio, cante chico group. And inside of those, there's like 20 or 30 each different kinds of tunes. Yeah. And they can also be based on their origin and compass. There's a tona family, solea, fandango, tango, ida y vuelta. Seems pretty complex to me. I guess you'd have to yeah. really get inside this culture to know right. the rhythms and dances, which is just the way music is. It's really true of any traditional culture, though. They're very complex all the time. Exactly. You know. Well, maybe in another lifetime or after retirement, I can learn all about it. For now, we'll just listen to it from a jazz perspective and see what's going on here. Right. That's all we can do, really. So the CD is not available here in Japan yet, and I don't see any notes available on Crystal Records or anywhere else online. So you're also on your own with the lyrics for this <laughs> one as well. So good luck. So... Rounding out the cast of musicians here, we have Antonio Lizana on saxophone and vocals, Daniel Garcia, piano and keyboards, Aaron Keshishi, bass, Cheyenne Fati, drums, El Maui de Cadiz, the flamenco dance and chorus, special guests, Monse Cortez, also on vocals track three, Sheila Blanco, vocals on track seven, Louis Winsberg, electric guitar on track two. Anna Salazar, singing chorus on tracks one, two, three, five, six, and eight. And also the taconeo, which I guess is the heels. You're going to hear some footwork on this recording on track six as well. Jose Manuel Leon on the flamenco guitar, tracks three and six. Cepillo, a one-word name, on the clapping, tracks one, three, and six. Miron Rafajlolik on trumpet on the first track, Pablo Martinez trombone on track one, Juan Carlos Aracil on the flute also on track one, and Ruven Rupik percussion on track two and eight. Things start out with Camino, which I guess means the way. Hand claps bring it in, and Lizana's sax gets lines accented by the piano and rhythmic instruments into some unison licks with the electric bass and more lines that get some Spanish modal shifts. That's an intro into where the floating backing vocal chorus over rhythmic piano comes in. Let's hear how it all gets started. Thank you. 
Uzana's in on the main vocal soon. We'll hear some of his singing coming up soon. And that gets some clapping and skittering percussion breaks after that into a sax solo. And then he's back for another verse that works into some more of the chorus vocals, this time with flute, trumpet, and trombone lines woven in. And that works to the sax and bass riff from the beginning and a finish with the horns and a really pretty happy start to this recording. Track two, Amar, Love. We get a unison soprano sax and electric guitar opening here over an interesting rhythmic pattern. Two measures of three beats and then two measures of four. That sets up Luzana for his vocals with little piano fills. So let's hear some of his singing uh, once he gets in on the second track. Pasamos las noches recordando sueños Que ya no se sueña más La verdad se disfraza de silencio Y entonces miro para el cielo Buscando un rayo de luz Que se lleva It's interesting how the bass shadows the vocal line underneath. Right. Those backing vocals and accented backing come in there from the rhythm section, and Lozana gets a longing modal final vocal line before Winsberg gets an electric guitar solo with a nice tone on this tune. Lozana has a soprano sax solo next with some liquid lines, and he's back with more vocals into the big backing again. There's a new section of flowing vocal lines with unison snaking sax into an ending with some final piano, sax, and guitar flourishes. Track 3, Los Motivos. This one has more of a modern flamenco start with acoustic flamenco guitar, clapping, and chorus vocals from Ana Salazar and Montse Cortez. Tasty bass fills as well in here. And he merges with a sax solo interlude out of that into more vocals. some more vocals and then another sax interlude and the vocal is uh, different i assume this is a uh, monse cortez on the second time we hear it there's a break and a mood change with more vocals from lozano later more chorus vocals and vocal exchanges over the flamenco guitar rhythms and another sax solo section takes it to some final chorus vocals and a line from lozano to end it track four preludio a la soledad this is a short minute long or so prelude to the next track. It's got soft piano and Lozano's alto sax work, a pretty rubato introduction, 
It connects into Soledad, Loneliness. A little agile sax riffs work into a more rhythmically driven section, and then Lizana gets some haunting solo vocals over bass drum pulses. Piano comes in to add some chords below. Backing vocals with a more major sheen to it lift things out of the loneliness for a bit. And then Lizana gets a bouncy sax solo with some R&B and flamenco tinges before returning with more pleading vocals. There's a surprising uplifting next section with funky drums, syncopation, and swirling organ chords under more sax before an emphatic flamenco-style ending. Track 6, Miss Melodious. Percussion clapping and some happy background voices behind Lizana's playful sax licks get this started. Flamenco guitar strums come out, and he gets some pretty searing licks before the mode and mood changes to a bright vocal entrance. Let's check out the beginning of this one. There's that big change there. Well, there's fun interaction with uplifting backing vocals and then some speedy sax over flamenco stop time before another verse of vocals. And then it's time for some of those taconeo heels to come in. So that's an interesting sound. Let's skip ahead uh, to hear some of that. fun if we had a visual to go with <laughs> as well. Well, they keep it going with synced up sax and bass lines into more vocals from Lizana with exciting guitar strumming there too. The ending section takes a momentary chill out with some ringing fretless bass lines under the chorus vocals before it speeds up and builds to the finish. Track 7, El Rio. Five beat piano figures of descending interval figures bring in guest vocalist Sheila Blanco. The insistent piano figures smooth into chords and it gets more of a pop ballad feel to it. Luzano adding harmony to the vocals as a waltz feel develops during the chorus section. There's another verse and chorus and then Lizana gets a restrained sax solo that builds up. The chorus returns for a couple rounds into a vocalization finish and some final synthy sounds. Track 8, the title track, Vishuda. Tricky, fluttery sax lines with tight syncopated bass and percussion accents get this going. Nizana's vocals come in with mellow contrast to the intro, and let's hear how this one gets started as well. Mm -hmm. 
la tierra me llame no quiero parar de cantar hasta que la tierra me llame y es que encuentro yo en el sonido look at it chills out with the vocals there Daniel Garcia has a tasty piano solo over throbbing electric bass before Lozano returns with vocals over rubato, rippling piano and cymbals. Things get rhythmic and syncopated again with sax and percussion for a section before a longer sax solo this time. After a rhythmic final segment, Lozano returns with mellow vocals that work up to a final exciting rhythmic sax and rhythm section ending. And the recording ends with a solo piece, Nana del Cabello Grande. Lullaby of the Big Horse, I think that means. Uh, Lozano's starting this one out on sax solo, and then he alternates phrases of vocals and sax. So let's just sample a little of this where his vocals come in. So he alternates phrases of vocals and sax on this final track. Well, that was an interesting listen. I enjoy flamenco music and this new flamenco jazz music as well. I'd like to be more knowledgeable about it. Luzana's enthusiasm comes through in his vocals and sax playing both. His original tunes are a nice mix of different flamenco rhythms and styles. We get jazzier sections for improvisations, and flamenco harmonies and scales pop up in those parts as well. Arin Kishishi's electric bass is a key part of the sound and propulsion through all of this, and I found my ear drawn to the bass a lot. Uh, the guest and backing vocals add variety and atmosphere to the recording. And this was a good final stop on our Latin Gallivant tour. Yeah, it was fun. It was kind of like, um, I don't know how to say, it had an, a free-spirited feel to it, let's say. That's always a great way to yeah. end the trip, isn't it? There's certainly jazz on the album. It didn't stay jazz. It seemed to move between jazz and other genres of music, even pop. Even the flamenco comes across as like an element in the music. It's a hard album to define, like what kind of music it is, and that's probably a good thing, because it just keeps you, yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of original. It sounds good, of course. It's well-produced, and it's genuinely adult music. That's really all that matters to us. We do classical and jazz, but anything that's adult music is going to be fine with us. It's got impassioned vocals, taking the spotlight, and some good playing and relatively high spirits in the instrumental parts, if not the words. I don't really know what the words are saying. I know the flamenco, kind of like the blues, flamenco tends to have really sad words to it. I don't know what he's singing about in here, though, but the music, the playing is very high-spirited. It's appealing on the surface and has a lot of intricacies to work your ear through. So if those uh, flamenco rhythms are appealing, this is worth your while. 
Yeah, and it was good timing. I wouldn't have probably picked this to fit into a regular jazz combination, but since we were going uh, all things Latin. We were going Latin. I had those two Latin albums from Takata Classics I really wanted to do. Yeah, so, so it just yeah. happened to fit in, and it's good for me to break out of my kind of uh, post-bop kind of bubble sometimes and do yeah. some different things. So there you have right. it. The Latin Gallivantin' episode. Well, we'll always include a little bit of Latin in the programs when we can, but uh, this time you got a full chorus there. <laughs> I feel like words like Gallivantin' are kind of like the, the wah-wah pedal of uh, <laughs> podcast titles, you know? It's, it just right. goes out of style, and then you have to just bring it back, just step into the breach and just kind of start using that word again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> This has been episode 137, a special themed episode. I think next week I'm going to just go with the best of the new releases because there's so many new things that have popped out this week. Okay. No particular instrument. It's just going to be anything. Uh... Hard to say. I'll have to have another look. There's a lot of everything. You have anything in mind for classical? Well, I know, but I do know that, you know what I'm going to do? I'll just lay it on the line here. We're going to go to the Renaissance and I this uh, composer uh, from the Renaissance, Ludwig Daser. An album of his polyphonic masses won the Gramophone Award for um, oh. uh, early music this year. Now um, Hyperion Records has released an album of his music. Now we have two of them in the same year. A composer I'd never heard of before and I don't think has been recorded before, but he may have been. So now I'm curious and I want to find out what he's about and what better way to do it than to program him on the Adult Music Podcast. The other two, I really don't know. I'll have to look through my list, but there's plenty, so we'll have something. Yeah. If you want to know what those are, you can always come check the playlist for next week. That'll be up shortly after this episode. You can find that on Deezer. There'll also be a link to it from our Facebook page. So come check us out there. Remember to also check out the same difference. Two jazz fans, one jazz standard podcast. There's a link in the episode description. You'll also hear a little promo from them at the end of this recording. And thanks as always to Fast Signs of Staten Island. Brother Richard for our glowing neon logo. That's my brother Richard. I don't know. I don't know if he wants to be your brother. <laughs> Maybe he does. Maybe he thinks that you'd be a better brother than I am, but you know, that might happen. You know? All right. Any final words, Mike? Uh no. <laughs> no. No final words. I've already said my final words. <laughs> yeah, I've said your final words. That's enough for this episode then. So we'll see you again with some fresh recording picks next week with episode 138. So until then, keep listening and we'll see you again next time. Same difference. Two jazz fans, one jazz standard. A review of a single jazz standard through music, history, and stories. And this is AJ. And this is Johnny. If you are a jazz fan and you like jazz standards, bebop show tunes ballads you name it yeah we've got them here we drop a new show on you every other week and we take a standard and we listen to a few different versions of it same difference come join the fun looking forward to seeing you